0: Part Twelve of *The Old English Baron*. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Mary Ann Spiegel. *The Old English Baron*, a Gothic story by Clara Reeve. Part Twelve. Edmund was walking to and fro in the hall when he heard the horn that announced their arrival. His emotions were so great that he could hardly support them. The Baron and Sir Philip entered the hall hand in hand. Edmund threw himself at their feet and embraced their knees but could not utter a word. They raised him between them, and strove to encourage him, but he threw himself into the arms of Sir Philip Harclay, deprived of strength and almost of life. They supported him to a seat, where he recovered by degrees, but had no power to speak his feelings. He looked up to his benefactors in the most affecting manner. He laid his hand upon his bosom, but was still silent. "'Compose yourself, my dear son,' said Sir Philip. "'You are in the arms of your best friends. "'Look up to the happiness that awaits you. "'Enjoy the blessings that heaven sends you. "'Lift up your heart in gratitude to the Creator, "'and think left of what you owe the creature. "'You will have time enough to pay us your acknowledgments hereafter.' "'The company came round them. "'The servants flocked into the hall. "'Shouts of joy were heard on all sides,' The baron came and took Edmund's hand. Rise, sir, said he, and do the honors of your house. It is yours from this day. We are your guests, and expect from you our welcome. Edmund kneeled to the baron. He spoke with a faltering voice. My lord, I am yours. All that I have is at your devotion. Dispose of me as it pleases you best. The baron embraced him with the greatest affection. "'Look round you,' said he, "'and salute your friends. "'These gentlemen came hither to do you honor. Edmund revived. He embraced and welcomed the gentlemen. Father Oswald received his embrace with peculiar affection, and gave him his benediction in a most affecting manner. Edmund exclaimed, "'Pray for me, Father, "'that I may bear all these blessings with gratitude and moderation.' He then saluted and shook hands with all the servants, not omitting the meanest. He distinguished Joseph by a cordial embrace. He called him his dear friend. Now, said he, I can return your friendship, and I am proud to acknowledge it. The old man, with a faltering voice, cried out, Now I have lived long enough. I have seen my master's son acknowledged for the heir of Lovell. The hall echoed with his words, "'Long live the heir of Lovel! The baron took Edmund's hand in his own. "'Let us retire from this crowd,' said he. "'We have business of a more private nature to transact.' He led to the parlour, followed by Sir Philip and the other gentlemen. "'Where are my other children?' said he. William retired and presently returned with his brother and sister. They kneeled to their father, who raised and embraced them. He then called out, "'William, Edmund, come and receive my blessing also.' They approached hand in hand. They kneeled, and he gave them a solemn benediction. "'Your friendship deserves our praise, my children. Love each other always, and may heaven pour down its choicest blessings upon your heads.' They rose and embraced in silent raptures of joy. Edmund presented his friend to Sir Philip. "'I understand you,' said he. "'This gentleman was my first acquaintance of this family. "'He has a title to the second place in my heart. "'I shall tell him at more leisure how much I love and honour him "'for his own sake as well as yours.' "'He embraced the youth, and desired his friendship. "'Come hither, my Emma,' said the baron. "'She approached with tears on her cheek, sweetly blushing, "'like the damask rose wet with the dew of the morning. "'I must ask you a serious question, my child.' Answer me with the same sincerity you would to heaven. You see this young man, the heir of Lovel. You have known him long. Consult your own heart, and tell me whether you have any objection to receive him for your husband. I have promised to all this company to give you to him, but upon condition that you approve him. I think him worthy of you, and whether you accept him or not, he shall ever be to me a son, but heaven forbid that I should compel my child to give her hand where she cannot bestow her heart. Speak freely, and decide this point for me and yourself. The fair Emma blushed, and was under some confusion. Her virgin modesty prevented her speaking for some moments. Edmund trembled. He leaned upon William's shoulder to support himself. Emma cast her eye upon him. She saw his emotion, and hastened to relieve him, and thus spoke in a soft voice, which gathered strength as she proceeded. My lord and father's goodness has always prevented my wishes. I am the happiest of all children in being able to obey his commands without offering violence to my own inclinations. As I am called upon in this public manner, it is but justice to this gentleman's merit to declare that, were I at liberty to choose a husband from all the world, he only should be my choice who I can say with joy is my father's also. Edmund bowed low. He advanced toward her. The baron took his daughter's hand and presented it to him. He kneeled upon one knee. He took her hand, kissed it, and pressed it to his bosom. The baron embraced and blessed them. He presented them to Sir Philip Harclay. "'Receive and acknowledge your children,' said he. "'I do receive them as the gift of heaven,' said the noble knight. "'They are as much mine as if I had begotten them.' "'All that I have is theirs, and shall descend to their children for ever.' A fresh scene of congratulation ensued, and the hearts of all the auditors were too much engaged to be able, soon, to return to the ease and tranquillity of common life. After they had refreshed themselves, and recovered from the emotions they had sustained on this interesting occasion, Edmund thus addressed the Baron. "'On the brink of happiness I must claim your attention to a melancholy subject.' the bones of both my parents lie unburied in this house permit me my honored lord to perform my last duties to them and the remainder of my life shall be devoted to you and yours certainly said the baron why have you not interred them my lord i waited for your arrival that you might be certified of the reality and that no doubts might remain i have no doubts said the baron alas "'Both the crime and punishment of the offender leave no room for them,' he sighed. "'Let us now put an end to this affair, and, if possible, forget it for ever. "'If it will not be too painful to you, my lord, I would entreat you, with these gentlemen "'our friends, to follow me into the East Department, the scene of my parents' woes, "'and yet the dawning of my better hopes.' "'They rose to attend him. "'He committed the Lady Emma to the care of her youngest brother,' "'observing that the scene was too solemn for a lady to be present at it. "'They proceeded to the apartment. "'He showed the baron the fatal closet, and the place where the bones were found, "'also the trunk that contained them. "'He recapitulated all that passed before their arrival. "'He showed them the coffin where the bones of the unfortunate pair were deposited. "'He then desired the baron to give orders for their interment. "'No,' replied he, "'it belongs to you to order.' and everyone here is ready to perform it. Edmund then desired Father Oswald to give notice to the friars of the monastery of St. Austin, that with their permission the funeral should be solemnized there, and the bones interred in the church. He also gave orders that the closet should be floored, the apartment repaired and put in order. He then returned to the other side of the castle. Preparations being made for the funeral, it was performed a few days after. Edmund attended in person as chief mourner, Sir Philip Harclay as the second. Joseph desired that he might assist as servant to the deceased. They were followed by most people of the village. The story was now become public, and everyone blessed Edmund for the piety and devotion with which he performed the last duties to his parents. Edmund appeared in deep mourning. The week after, he assisted at a mass for the repose of the deceased. Sir Philip Harclay ordered a monument to be erected to the memory of his friends, with the following inscription. Pray for the souls of Arthur, Lord Lovel and Marie, his wife, who were cut off in the flower of their youth, by the treachery and cruelty of their near kinsmen. Edmund, their only son, one and twenty years after their death, by the direction of heaven, made the discovery of the manner of their death, and at the same time proved his own birth. He collected their bones together and interred them in this place, a warning and proof, to late posterity, of the justice of providence and the certainty of retribution. The Sunday after the funeral Edmund threw off his mourning and appeared in a dress suitable to his condition. He received the compliments of his friends with ease and cheerfulness, and began to enjoy his happiness. He asked an audience of his fair mistress AND WAS PERMITTED TO DECLARE THE PASSION HE HAD SO LONG STIFLED IN HIS OWN BOSOM. SHE GAVE HIM A FAVORABLE HEARING, AND IN A SHORT TIME CONFESSED THAT SHE HAD SUFFERED EQUALLY, IN THE SUSPENSE THAT WAS SO GRIEVOUS TO HIM. THEY ENGAGED THEMSELVES BY MUTUAL VOWS TO EACH OTHER, AND ONLY WAITED THE BARON'S PLEASURE TO COMPLETE THEIR HAPPINESS. EVERY CLOUD WAS VANISHED FROM THEIR BROWS, AND SWEET TRANQUILLITY TOOK POSSESSION OF THEIR BOSOMS. THEIR FRIENDS SHARED THEIR HAPPINESS. William and Edmund renewed their vows of everlasting friendship, and promised to be as much together as William's other duties would permit. The baron once more summoned all his company together. He told Edmund all that had passed relating to his brother-in-law, his exile, and the pilgrimage of Zadiski. He then related the circumstances of Sir Robert's engagement to Lord Clifford's daughter, his establishment in his uncle's seat, and his own obligations to return time enough to be present at the marriage. But before I go, said he, I will give my daughter to the heir of Lovel, and then I shall have discharged my duty to him, and my promise, to Sir Philip Harclay. You have nobly performed both, said Sir Philip, and whenever you depart I shall be your companion. What, said Edmund, am I to be deprived of both my fathers at once? My honoured lord, you have given away two houses. Where do you intend to reside? No matter, said the baron. I know I shall be welcome to both. My dear lord, said Edmund, stay here and be still the master. I shall be proud to be under your command and to be your servant as well as your son. No, Edmund, said the baron, that would not now be proper. This is your castle. You are its lord and master, and it is incumbent on you to show yourself worthy of the great things Providence has done for you. How shall I, a young man, acquit myself of so many duties as will be upon me, without the advice and assistance of my two paternal friends? Oh, Sir Philip, will you too leave me? Once you gave me hopes—' He stopped, greatly affected. Sir Philip said, "'Tell me truly, Edmund.' "'Do you really desire that I should live with you?' "'As truly, sir, as I desire life and happiness.' "'Then, my dear child, I will live and die with you.' They embraced with tears of affection, and Edmund was all joy and gratitude. "'My good lord,' said Sir Philip, "'you have disposed of two houses, and have none ready to receive you. "'Will you accept of mine? "'It is much at your service.' and its being in the same country with your eldest son, will be an inducement to you to reside there. The baron caught Sir Philip's hand. Noble sir, I thank you, and I will embrace your kind offer. I will be your tenant for the present. My castle in Wales shall be put in repair in the meantime. If I do not reside there, it will be an establishment for one of my younger sons. But what will you do with your old soldiers and dependents? My lord, I will never cast them off. There is another house on my estate that has been shut up many years. I will have it repaired and furnished properly for the reception of my old men. I will endow it with a certain sum to be paid annually, and will appoint a steward to manage their revenue. I will continue it during the lives of the first inhabitants, and after that I shall leave it to my son here to do as he pleases. Your son, said Edmund, will make it the business of his life to act worthy of such a father. "'Enough,' said Sir Philip. "'I am satisfied that you will. "'I purpose to reside myself in that very apartment "'which my dear friend your father inhabited. "'I will tread in his footsteps, "'and think he sees me acting his part in his son's family. "'I will be attended by my own servants, "'and whenever you desire it I will give you my company. "'Your joys and griefs shall be mine.' I shall hold your children in my arms and their prattle shall amuse my old age and as my last earthly wish your hands shall close my eyes long very long said edmund with eyes and hands lifted up may it be ere i perform so sad a duty long and happy may you live together said the baron i hope to see you sometimes and to claim a share in your blessings But let us give no more tears to sorrow. The rest shall be those of joy and transport. The first step we take shall be to marry our Edmund. I will give orders for the celebration, and they shall be the last orders I shall give in this house. Then they separated, and went to prepare for the approaching solemnity. Sir Philip and the Baron had a private conference concerning Edmunds assuming the name and title of Lovell. I am resolved, said Sir Philip, to go to the king, "'to acquaint him briefly with Edmund's history. "'I will request that he may be called up to Parliament by a writ, "'for there is no need of a new patent, "'he being the true inheritor. "'In the meantime, ye shall assume the name, arms, and title, "'and I will answer any one that shall dispute his right to them.' "'Sir Philip then declared his resolution "'to set out with the Baron at his departure, "'and to settle all his other affairs "'before he returned to take up his residence at the castle.' A few days after, the marriage was celebrated, to the entire satisfaction of all parties. The baron ordered the doors to be thrown open, and the house was free for all comers, with every other token of joy and festivity. Edmund appeared full of joy, without levity, of mirth, without extravagance. He received the congratulations of his friends with ease, freedom, and vivacity. He sent for his foster-father and mother, who began to think themselves neglected, as he had been so deeply engaged in affairs of more consequence, that he had not been particularly attentive to them. He made them come into the great hall, and presented them to his lady. "'These,' said he, "'are the good people to whom I am under God indebted for my present happiness. "'They were my first benefactors. "'I was obliged to them for food and sustenance in my childhood, "'and this good woman nourished my infancy at her own breast.' The lady received them graciously, and saluted Marjorie. Andrew kneeled down, and, with great humility, begged Edmund's pardon for his treatment of him in his childhood. "'I heartily forgive you,' said he, "'and I will excuse you to yourself. "'It was natural for you to look upon me as an intruder "'that was eating your children's bread. "'You saved my life, and afterwards you sustained it "'by your food and raiment.' I ought to have maintained myself, and to have contributed to your maintenance, but besides this, your treatment of me was the first of my preferment. It recommended me to the notice of this noble family. Everything that happened to me since has been a step to my present state of honor and happiness. Never man had so many benefactors as myself. But both they and myself have been only instruments in the hand of Providence, to bring about its own purposes." Let us praise God for all. I shared your poverty, and you will share my riches. I will give you the cottage where you dwell, and the ground about it. I will also pay you the annual sum of ten pounds for the lives of you both. I will put out your children to manual trades, and assist you to provide for them in their own station. And you are to look upon this as paying a debt, and not bestowing a gift. I owe you more than I can ever pay, and... If there be anything further in my power that will contribute to your happiness, you can ask nothing in reason that I will deny you. Andrew hid his face. I cannot bear it, said he. Oh, what a brute I was! To abuse such a child as this! I shall never forgive myself. You must indeed, my friend, for I forgive and thank you. Andrew retired back, but Marjorie came forward. She looked earnestly on Edmund. She then threw her arms about his neck and wept aloud. My precious child, my lovely babe, thank God that I live to see this day. I will rejoice in your good fortune and your bounty to us, but I must ask one more favor yet, that I may sometimes come hither and behold that gracious countenance, and thank God that I was honored so far as to give thee food from my own breast, and to bring thee up to be a blessing to me and to all that know thee. Edmund was affected. He returned her embrace. He bade her come to the castle as often as she pleased, and she should always be received as his mother. The bride saluted her, and told her the oftener she came, the more welcome she should be. Marjorie and her husband retired, full of blessings and prayers for their happiness. She gave vent to her joy by relating to the servants and neighbors every circumstance of Edmund's birth, infancy, and childhood. Many a tear was dropped by the auditors, and many a prayer wafted to heaven for his happiness. Joseph took up the story where she left it. He told the rising dawn of youth and virtue, darting its ray through the clouds of obscurity, and how every stroke of envy and malignity brushed away some part of the darkness that veiled its luster. He told the story of the haunted apartment, and all the consequences of it how he and Oswald conveyed the youth away from the castle, no more to return till he came as master of it. He closed the tale with praise to heaven for the happy discovery that gave such an heir to the house of Lovell, to his dependents such a lord and master, to mankind a friend and benefactor. There was truly a house of joy, not that false kind in the midst of which there is heaviness, but that of rational creatures, grateful to the supreme benefactor, raising their minds by a due enjoyment of earthly blessings, to a preparation for a more perfect state hereafter. A few days after the wedding, the Lord Owen began to prepare for his journey to the north. He gave Edmund the plate, linen, and furniture of the castle, the farming stock and utensils. He would have added a sum of money, but Sir Philip stopped his hand. "'We do not forget,' said he, "'that you have other children.' We will not suffer you to injure them. Give us your blessing and paternal affection, and we have nothing more to ask. I told you, my lord, that you and I should one day be sincere friends. We must be so, answered the baron. It is impossible to be long your enemy. We are brothers, and shall be to our lives' end. They regulated the young man's household. The baron gave leave to the servants to choose their master, The elder ones followed him, except Joseph, who desired to live with Edmund as the chief happiness of his life. Most of the younger ones chose the servants of the youthful pair. There was a tender and affectionate parting on all sides. Edmund besought his beloved William not to leave him. The baron said he must insist on his being at his brother's wedding, as a due attention to him, but after that he should return to the castle for some time. The baron and Sir Philip Harclay, with their train, set forward. Sir Philip went to London, and obtained all he desired for his Edmund. From thence he went into Yorkshire, and settled his affairs there, removing his pensioners to his other house, and putting Lord Fitzowen in possession of his own. They had a generous contention about the terms, but Sir Philip insisted on the baron's accepting the use of everything there. "'You hold it in trust for a future grandchild,' said he, whom I hope to live to endow with it. During Sir Philip's absence, the young Lord Lovel caused the haunted apartment to be repaired and furnished for the reception of his father by adoption. He placed his friend Joseph over all his men-servants, and ordered him to forbear his attendance. But the old man would always stand at the sideboard, and feast his eyes with the countenance of his own master's son, surrounded with honor and happiness. John Wyatt, waited upon the person of his lord, and enjoyed his favor without abatement. Mr. William Fitzowen accompanied Sir Philip Harclay from the north country, when he returned to take up his residence at the castle of Lovell. Edmund, in the arms of love and friendship, enjoyed with true relish the blessings that surrounded him, with a heart overflowing with benevolence to his fellow-creatures, and raptures of gratitude to his creator. His lady and himself, were examples of conjugal affection and happiness. Within a year from his marriage she brought him a son and heir, whose birth renewed the joy and congratulations of all his friends. The baron Fitzowen came to the baptism, and partook of his children's blessings. The child was called Arthur, after the name of his grandfather. The year following was born a second son, who was called Philip Harclay. Upon him the noble knight of that name settled his estate in Yorkshire and by the king's permission he took the name and arms of that family. The third son was called William. He inherited the fortune of his uncle of that name, who adopted him, and he made the castle of Lovell his residence, and died a bachelor. The fourth son was called Edmund, the fifth Owen, and there was also a daughter called Emma. When time had worn out the prejudices of Sir Robert Fitzowen, the good old baron of that name proposed a marriage between his eldest son and heir, and the daughter of Edmund, Lord Lovell, which was happily concluded. The nuptials were honored with the presence of both families, and the old baron was so elevated with this happy union of his descendants, that he cried out, Now I am ready to die. I have lived long enough. This is the band of love that unites all my children to me, and to each other. He did not long survive this happy event. He died full of years and honors, and his name was never mentioned but with the deepest marks of gratitude, love, and veneration. Sweet is the remembrance of the virtuous, and happy are the descendants of such a father. They will think on him and emulate his virtues. They will remember him and be ashamed to denigrate from their ancestor. Many years after Sir Philip Harclay settled at the castle, he received tidings from his friend Zadisky by one of the two servants who attended him to the Holy Land. From him he learned, that his friend had discovered, by private advices, that he had a son living in Palestine, which was the chief motive of his leaving England, that he had met with various adventures in pursuit of him, that at length he found him, converted him to the Christian religion, and then persuaded him to retire from the world into a monastery by the side of Mount Labanus, where he intended to end his days that Walter, commonly called Lord Lovell, had entered into the service of the Greek Emperor, John Paleologus, not bearing to undergo a life of solitude and retirement, that he made up a story of his being compelled to leave his native country by his relations, for having accidentally killed one of them, and that he was treated with great cruelty and injustice, that he had accepted a post in the Emperor's army, and was soon after married to the daughter of one of the chief officers of it. Zadisky foresaw and lamented the downfall of that empire, and withdrew from the storm he saw approaching. Finally he bade the messenger tell Sir Philip Harclay and his adopted son, that he should not cease to pray for them, and desired their prayers in return. Sir Philip desired Lord Lovell to entertain this messenger in his service. That good knight lived to extreme old age in honor and happiness, and died in the arms of his beloved Edmund, who also performed the last duties to his faithful Joseph. Father Oswald lived many years in the family as chaplain. He retired from thence at length, and died in his own monastery. Edmund, Lord Lovell, lived to an old age, in peace, honor, and happiness. He died in the arms of his children. Sir Philip Harclay caused the papers related to his son's history to be collected together, The first part of it was written under his own eye in Yorkshire, the subsequent parts by Father Oswald at the Castle of Lovell. All of these, when together, furnish a striking lesson to posterity, of the overruling hand of Providence, and the certainty of retribution. End of Part 12. End of the Old English Baron by Clara Reeve.